firstly, the desire for wealth, I think, is not a bad thing, but understanding no, yeah. maybe where it came from, right? You've like got, you've got to look at it. You got to know where, where did you get triggered? We all have our different yeah. thing that triggered that desire for wealth. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with desiring wealth, but mm. it is worth exploring what led well, you on that path. You got to know, otherwise you don't stop. <laughs> you, like you, it's you, so don't, true. you don't get off that train. Uh, Cause like, you know, I got to 25 and I'd done all this therapy and I'd unwound all this stuff and I'd reached a comfortable level of income. And I realized, oh wow, holy crap. This is actually what's been driving me for all of this time. The number of people who online, you've maybe seen their videos where they're, you know, they're on a private jet or they're like sitting on a bed with their wads of cash, and it's been which rented. I can't tell you every single one of them, but there's a high chance that the majority of them hired that jet yeah. while they're sitting on a tarmac for 15 minutes to record their video or take their photo and they paid not all that much money to do it. And then the people with the wad of cash, they borrowed their money from their their father or grandfather and they took all every cent they owned out of the bank and in like one dollar bills if they're from america and spread it across their bed and then as soon as the video was taken they put it all back in the bank again you know I, i'm a skeptic when it comes to those things because i know that there are people out there who just do that you know my big goal was and i was i was 15 we we're going around the classroom teachers saying what do you want to be when you're 30 and i said retired and everyone laughed uh, and i was like no 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 i'm i'm effing serious uh, and you know, to me, it was not having to worry about, and I don't know if this is wealth or maybe it's just income security. I'm, you know, curious on your thoughts on it. But, you know, for me, it was, I don't want to ever have to worry about what food is on the table. I don't want to ever have to think about my day-to-day -day, uh, needs and expenses. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Entrepreneurs Rising. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Peter Moriarty, and I'm here with my good friend, Carl Taylor. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing incredible today, Pete. Hey, incredible. That's, uh, that's awesome. For Friday, mate, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm well-rested, and, uh, and I am feeling good. Uh, this week's episode, we are talking about the road to wealth and income freedom. Uh, we're going to be talking about capitalism versus contribution. We're going to be talking about passive income. We're going to be talking about, uh, you know, why people uh, desire money and why people chase building wealth. And what does building wealth actually even mean? And we're going to be going right into all of the details on those. I'm excited about this because I feel like this is a lifelong passion of mine, Carl, and not necessarily like a lifelong thing that I'm chasing as my number one, but something that's just always been a part of my life, even from when I was like 15 years old and read Kiyosaki for the first time. Uh, what about you? Where did your wealth journey start? Ooh, I think I, I like you, it's, it's back in early days of my childhood. I think there were two key shaping events in my life that really put me on that wealth generation, uh, pursuit of wealth and success mindset. One in the back in the nineties, my dad was retrenched, you know, in the nineties, we, in Australia, we had the re recession that we had to have as it was called. And so uh, my dad was retrenched and put out of work and he was out of work for 18 months. And so that meant we were living on a public school teacher's salary as a family of four, which meant that I had a lot of affirmations around the values that money doesn't grow on trees and all these things. There was, a, there's a lot of not options. Uh, it was quite tough for my family. And I don't remember all the ins and outs, but I remember clearly coming away from that going, I don't want this to be my life. Mm -hmm. I don't want my family. I don't want to have this lack of choice in the future. So it was that. The second big event that occurred was more like my high school teenage years. And uh, I essentially was bullied a lot as a kid. And there was one 
key event. It was a metalwork class and this guy had literally taken, you know those metal protractors, you know, a bit like in math class, you had a protractor oh, yeah, circles. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was to draw on a piece of metal. So they were really sharp, mm. right? You would etch it into the metal. And one of the, the, the students in the class, one of my tormentors, held this metal protractor millimeters away from my eye. Like it was just right up me and I, I just wasn't going to move. And it was a really traumatic at the time event. And it took me a number of years before I could kind of work through it and clear some of the, the trauma around that event. But one of the things that was so powerful about that event, I left that class going, I will own you one day. I've, I've never been a built person, but I was like, I will own you one day. Cause at the time my hero was Bill Gates. He was the richest man in the world. And I was like, I'm going to be Australia's Bill Gates. I'm going to be the richest man in Australia. That was my mindset. So those two key events really pushed me on this. How do I learn how to make money? And the first book I bought was like how to turn uh, $1 into a million dollars in seven years or less by Roy McDonald. That was the first ever wealth success book I bought. So wow. yeah, that, that was my, my journey. Pete, what, what so, were your key events? So that sounds like you, uh, and you haven't told me that story before. So that's uh, really interesting to actually hear that. It sounds like you experienced powerlessness, uh, you know, in the family situation that you had. And how old were you at the time then? The family situation, uh, I would have been maybe nine ten, or ten. I'd ten say. or something, yeah, because it was yeah. like 90s, right? So you experienced powerlessness there and then you experienced the desire for power, uh, you know, with the, with the bullying incident. That's, uh, that's really interesting. So my story around uh, money is with my family. I may as well share that. There's, it wasn't really something that was etched into me, but I had a pretty basic upbringing. Western Sydney... Dad's a builder, carpenter, mum's a nurse. And, um, you know, we never struggled to have food on the table, but it was pretty basic. We had a basic upbringing. Um, it's not really something that was ever uncomfortable for me in a, in, a, in a big kind of psychological way. But my parents divorced when I was eight years old. And that was, that was messy. And it was messy for many years. Uh, and I did the going back and forth between parents and they still aren't really friends after 20 years later. And the, the challenge there for me was not feeling safe. And so not feeling like I had a safe home, uh, not feeling like I had a safe family life. And in my early teens, I developed the, the want or the need to have self-sufficiency as a way of having personal safety. It was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to look after myself here. Uh, and so if I can build wealth and income, then I can look after myself. And I found that, you know, through my late teens, I started running, you know, serious businesses and was starting to make serious money even in high school. And then in my early 20s, you know, just continued to basically build this business. Um, it wasn't until I'd done like nearly 10 years of therapy and, and I'd actually made enough money to live comfortably. You know, I was making more than 80 grand a year when I was 25 that I kind of realized, oh, wow, this has been a thing for me for so long. Anyway, but the, this episode is not biographical, um, just sharing kind of like where that kind of started for me. Um, I think it's you know, important that people understand that, that the firstly the desire for wealth i think is not a bad thing but understanding yeah, yeah. maybe where it came from right you like gotta, you gotta look at it. you gotta know where, where did you get triggered we all have our yeah. different thing that triggered that desire for wealth yeah and, and there's nothing wrong with desiring wealth but mm. it is worth exploring what led well, you on that path you gotta know otherwise you don't stop <laughs> you, like you, it's you, so don't, true. you don't get off that train because uh, like you know i got to 25 and i'd done all this therapy and i'd unwound all this stuff and i'd reached a comfortable level of income and I realized, oh, wow, holy crap, this is actually what's been driving me for all of this time, this hunger. And, you know, people have witnessed me as a hungry, 
and successful entrepreneur and they've said, wow, I appreciate that hustle and I appreciate that uh, dedication to your cause and I appreciate what you've, what you've built. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that as well. But now I know that came from, in a way, a bit of a place of fear and in a way of a, a, a place of trying to fill something in to feel that safety. And then after kind of like, bang, the, the penny dropped, it was like, oh, okay, well, now I can choose to exercise that hustle muscle <laughs> and then, you know, switch that on when I want to, but that doesn't have to be everything uh, in my life. And that was, um, you know, that was probably one of the biggest shifts for me and I've continued to choose building wealth. But when I see someone who's, you know, making millions of dollars a year in revenue in their business and they're chasing being a billionaire, I go, wow, like, you know, Why? who hurt you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I don't, know. and I don't want to trivialize anyone's, anyone's experience, but you know, there is potentially something there that is driving you that is unconscious that maybe you could take a little bit of a look at if you have that, that dogged, I must do this, you know, unconscious drive to actually build wealth. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's really important for us to state that we in no way judge someone for what they are. Like I don't, at least I won't no, speak for you. you I'll speak for myself. Think. I have no judgment on whether I just, I agree with you that it's worth potentially looking at what is driving that mm. and is it a healthy driver? And, and I think it shifts, you know, I like you, my beginning of this, the wealth journey was a scarcity. It was a fear based approach. It was, I was fearful of being in the same situation and I also wanted to be more powerful. I wanted significance. So it came from fear and uncertainty and I wanted significance. And then over time I've been able to shift out of that ego need for wealth and success and move more to a place of contribution. And you can still use contribution to pursue higher levels of income and higher levels of wealth but it comes from a far healthier, in my opinion, space. So let's talk about that journey. You know, we've mm. started with desiring wealth, desiring income. Uh, we've talked previously about, you know, what motivated us, what books motivated us and those kind of things. I think let's talk about, you know, what is wealth and what is income? You know, where, where you know, let's define these before we jump into the, you know, the relationships and, and the other things. You've mentioned something to me in the past, which is three different types of income. I'm interested to explore that. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, look, the, the way I think about it is, uh, you know, you read books, you hear about passive income, you hear about, you know, swapping time for money. Um, and so I see that most people out there, they put income into two buckets, you know, swapping time for money and passive income. I don't see it that way. I believe there are three types of income. And the way I look at my life, my business, all my things, I break it into these three buckets. So there's the swapping time for money, active income, right? So you've got active income. This is where literally there is a direct correlation on the income you earn based on the time input you put in. And so when you're doing something that's active income, you to make more money in your active income space, you either need to work more hours or you need to charge a higher rate per hour. So are you options. just talking about consultants or do you include business owners in that? I'm, 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 talking, I'm talking business owners who might be working inside their business, uh, paying themselves a salary. Um, yep. I'm talking about an employee who works in, in a business. You know, at any, at any time that you are directly swapping your time for money, so yes, it could be a consulting business or it could be you as an employee in your own business, that is an in active income source. Yep. And I have active income sources. I'm not purely passive, mm. right? But it's about me understanding what are the things I'm doing that are active income. And I'm fortunate and grateful to be in a position now that I can choose what I put my active income 
focus on to make sure they're the things I enjoy doing. So I'm not against active income as long as active income is something that I find fun, enjoyable, and it's something that's, that's good. If I'm doing something active income now that does not make me feel good, I won't do it. Yeah. Uh, or I'll, I'll shift it into the second type of income. And the second type of income is leveraged income. Mm. And leveraged income is similar to active income, except it's no longer directly correlated to the time you put in. So what's an example? So swapping time for money is like, you know, you charge someone hourly for what you do, or you get paid some sort of a salary based on the hours you worked. The leveraged income could be your profits in your business. So I, I consider the profits I earn in my business, right? The profits that come out of that, that is a leveraged form of income. It still required some of my time. It wasn't co completely hands off, but it was leveraged. It was leveraged from my time input and it was leveraged from other people's efforts as well. Cause I've got a team and I've got uh, extra elements. So profits on my business is a leveraged income source. It's not a passive income source. And it's not an active income source. The, the more hours I work doesn't mean I have more profits, mm. right? It's not directly correlated to the hours that I put in yet. It's, um, it's not passive. It's not like I did the work once and I never had to do it again. Because let's, let's talk about that. But I'll come back to leverage. What is passive now? How do I define passive? Passive is you do the work once and you get paid either long-term or forever, right? You, so often it's you front-loaded the work. Most of the passive income I earn, I front-loaded the work. You know, I wrote a book. It took a lot of effort initially to do. And then I ongoing earn royalties every year from people buying the book. That is something where... There is a passive income source. It might not be overly high. I can tell you my books right now don't bring me a lot of money, but it is still a passive income source. I've got some courses that I sell on, on Udemy. Uh, those courses consistently every month give me a passive income. I front loaded. I had to do the work early on and build those courses, but now consistently they pay me income. Um, I also wrote some blog posts many years ago that, that promoted uh, some products that people chose to click a link and sign up. And I got an affiliate income from that. And I continue to earn affiliate income from those blog posts. I wrote the blog post once and I'm earning an ongoing income from it forever. I bought shares that pay me dividends. I had to do the work and effort once to decide what share I was going to buy and to make the trade. But then the ongoing income from that dividend is a passive income source. So that's how I define what is a passive income source. If you can do the work once, and then get paid long-term or forever, then it's passive. So I don't define, I don't personally put buying a property in and, and renting it out. I don't put that into the passive income bucket because most people, unless maybe you have a team, but most people there, I would say buying a house and renting it out falls more under the leveraged income source. Mm -hmm. I would also say day trading, share, but you know, buying and selling shares. That's not necessarily an active income source because it's not directly proportioned to the hours I put in. It's leveraged. I have a certain amount of money. I put it in. The time I've put in is not necessarily directly cor correlated to how much money I make. So it's a leveraged form of income, buying and selling shares, buying and selling commodities, buying and selling flipping houses, buying a house and renting it out. That to me, they're leveraged income sources, not passive income sources. Active income, I try to minimize that as much as possible unless it's fun. So for me, I spend most of my time going, how do I generate more leverage and more passive income sources? So that's kind of the, the three different. So I've, I've so many questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, now, if you were to pay yourself a salary in the business, I'm not sure if you do or not at the moment, but um, I what I heard you say is the, the dividends or the profits from the business, uh, leveraged income. And I assume then, and I'm curious, would you count if you paid yourself a salary, would that be the active income? Because that dictates like, you know, how many days a week the CEO shows up to work and has value exchange for the time that you put in, in that operational role. Correct. That's how, cause that's a fixed, my, my salary that I pay myself is a fixed amount that I earn 
all the time. And that is what I believe I'm swapping my time for money for that money. And that's why over time, I actually haven't necessarily, I don't pay myself what I think a market CEO should earn in a company of my size. Like I don't pay myself that as a salary because I also over time have learned to leverage out my time. So it doesn't require a 40 hour week. Like there are other CEOs out there that would work far more hours than I do. Uh, which would allow for that higher salary. I could pay myself a higher salary, but again, the active, I feel like the hourly rate exchange is fair. And so mm-hmm. that's how I do classify that as, as active income. You could potentially lump some of that up into the, into the leverage income, depending on your, your situation. But um, I, I personally count my salary as an active income source. Yeah, interesting. I like the distinction there. And I'm starting to kind of like put the things that I do into different buckets. Uh, what was interesting to me was that a lot of the passive incomes um, that you shared, well, my perception was that they would diminish over time, potentially. So commissions may trail off you know, book royalties. That's why it's not get paid forever. It's get paid forever or long-term. Or long-term. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, but I, I started turning the wheels in my head of, well, what passive income streams could you create uh, that would potentially appreciate over time rather than depreciate? And shares is actually what I thought of. Uh, because if you've got like an index fund or, um, you know, maybe a, a, a company or, or some kind of portfolio that's paying dividends and those dividends become reinvested, wouldn't that then grow the passive income over time and you've not put any if you're not trading it you've not put any effort into that at all if you're doing a dividend reinvestment you could totally count that as passive income that but it's it's automatically being reinvested but that compounding of the creation of it over like over time that building up would increase there, there is a catch there like i mean that makes the assumption that a company you're invested in paying dividends doesn't cut their dividend rate right like this is the thing that I think sometimes financial gurus and people out there, they, they oversimplify and be like, yeah, it's going to like the reality is that sometimes a, a company crashes and disappears. Sometimes a company cuts their dividend rate. Like, I mean, uh, one of the, the banks that I'm invested in recently cut their dividend rate. Now, I actually think that's smart. It made me more confident in them because I thought that was more sustainable, lower uh, dividend rate. But that technically means my income from that share has dropped. So it's not as quite simple as going, it will always appreciate, but it's, to me, it's like whether it appreciates or depreciates is irrelevant because I, as long as I did the work once and now it's just continuing to go and every now and then you're going to tweak it, you're going to look at it, like you, you still are going to check on it, but it's, it's that, that's the closest thing to passive. Like if anyone tells you that there's truly a passive business or income stream that you can do it and never think about it, like even a book, let's, let's think about a book. You know, I wrote Red Means Go 10 years ago in 2010. The, div- the, the dividend or the return from that was a lot higher at the beginning and it's definitely diminished over time. Why? Because I haven't been marketing it, right? If to, to re- refresh it, I'm going to probably in the coming years, I'll probably write a version two and I'll release version two of Red Means Go and update it. And that's requiring work again to kind of put some more life back into that asset. So it, it's not as simple. I, I've not, I'm yet to discover anything that's purely what some people would define passive. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, we talked a little bit about our, our kind of origin stories around, uh, you know, why the, the desire to build wealth and income is important to them. Our, our culture and our society, you know, includes this thirst for money, for wealth. Uh, you know, the celebrity status thing comes into it a lot. But on like a, on a you know, we both really enjoyed the book Sapiens. And I'm curious uh, on your thoughts and to have a discussion about on a, on a, a level as, as beings, you know, what causes us to chase effectively material uh wealth um you know i mean they're virtual dollars but what they represent is 
material things uh, or, or material assets or material havingness. Where do you think that comes from on a primal level? Well, I think there's a, there's a few factors, but one, the one that comes most to mind, especially for men, is the, the the trying to be that alpha, trying to look mm. like the the to, to attract a better mate, right? Like if I'm if I'm more successful and I'm more more stable and I have all these finances, I can protect my my mate. I can be more attractive to my mate because I'm going to look like I can provide a better stability, security, and more like ch- higher chance of survival. If we we take you know, get rid of all the like, like politics and all the, the whatever ideology you might have around it. If we bring it back to a purely, you know, mammalian, you know, animalistic about it, thing about it is that we want to procreate. What do we try to do? We want to procreate. We want to continue to survive. When we're choosing a mate, both masculine and feminine, we are choosing a mate that one person's choosing the mate that's most likely going to have successful children that will continue to procreate, you know, off survive, right? So the more wealth someone has in our current society there is this almost subconscious positioning of my child with that person is more likely to survive i have a higher chance of you know procreating and having successful children and 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 them being able to survive a zombie apocalypse or whatever might happen right we've got the assets we've got the resources um so i think that there's there's that animalistic side of it i think there's also an underlying human need. I mean, Tony Robbins, if you've ever followed his stuff, I mean, I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins. He talks about the six human needs mm-hmm. and we all, there's four human needs that we always all find a way to meet. There's certainty. We all need certainty in our life, but if we, all we ever had was certainty all the time, we get bored. So we need a bit of variety and uncertainty in our life. So they, we, we find, we're already finding ways to meet that in our life all the time, certainty and uncertainty. The other thing that we all really need is significance and we all find different ways to find that significance. And then the, the, the fourth thing that we all manage to find is love and connection. Where if, you can't, if you can't get love, you'll settle for connection. We all look for some sort of connection. And then there's, there's two more, there's growth and there's contribution. But generally growth and contribution, people don't need, need them to survive. Yeah, um, but you want, you want to give the others, like the Maslow's hierarchy, you've got to have the others sorted before you yeah, need to. Yeah, but we already to. always do. Even if we're doing things that don't seem like they serve us, if you explore deeper down, usually you will find that those things you do, things I do that maybe don't serve me, if I really dig deep, I'll find that they actually are meeting one or a few of those needs in mm. some way, shape or form. And that's why I keep doing it, even though my mind might tell me that it's not a good idea, it's meeting a need in some way. And, and so I, I, I think at the end of the day, we all, because we need that significance, and right now, the society we live in, a lot of significance is put on um, celebrity and, mm. and income. So much value. But here's, but here's what I think is really interesting. At least I saw this in myself and I see it when I look out in the marketplace. I think that people care more about the status of looking wealthy than actually having the wealth. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. The number of people who online, you've maybe seen their videos where they're, you know, they're on a private jet or they're like sitting on a bed with their wads of cash, and it's been which rented. I can't tell you every single one of them, but there's a high chance that the majority of them hired that jet yeah. while they're sitting on a tarmac for 15 minutes to record their video. I will take, their photo and they paid not all that much money to do it and then the people with the wad of cash they borrowed their money from their their father or grandfather and they took all every cent they owned out of the bank and in like one dollar bills if they're from america and spread it across their bed and then as soon as the video was taken they put it all back in the bank again you know i'm a skeptic when it comes to those things because i know that there are people out there who just do that and there's a lot of people and i know it in myself there was a time when I wore fake Rolexes. There was a time mm. when I wore suits, which I just, I'm not a suit dude. Like take, I'll go to a wedding or a funeral. Sure, I'll wear a suit. But outside of that, like I'm not wearing suits. And it came from a, I need to look a certain way 
and I wasn't being that way. And eventually it hit me one day. I was like, uh, I, I was reminded of what someone said on stage once. It was like, would you rather be rich or look rich if you had to choose? And I was like, yeah, I'd rather be rich and no one know who I am than be a famous, uh, someone who looks rich, but is broke as. Mm. And uh, sadly, I would say the majority of people that you see flaunting their income, it is a broad generalization. It's not everyone. Mm. But my story is that the large proportion of people you see out there with their fancy cars and everything else, they're leveraged to the hilt in debt. Mm. They're, They're not as wealthy as they appear to be. It's, uh, there's this great quote from Warren Buffett, which is when the tide goes out, you will see who was swimming naked. <laughs> I like that. I've not heard that one before. That's a good uh, one. Yeah. I heard it like two days ago. It's excellent. Uh, and I, um, you know, from my perspective, I, I, I don't think I've never ever really wanted to, uh, you know, look a certain way wealth wise, but I certainly spent more than I had because my desire to uh, be wealthy outpaced my actual wealth. And, uh, you know, my early twenties, I was, I love my cars. I was buying V8s, uh, and buying cars on loans and credit and business still had debt. And I was one of those businesses that if, you know, a large economic event had happened, then I would have been up shit Creek basically. And, uh, thankfully I listened to my accountant. We were growing the business and she at the time said to me, Hey Pete, you, you got to get rid of some of the cars because I had multiple, um, you got to get rid of you got to get rid of some of them because we need the capital inside the business and we need to clean up the balance sheet to be able to grow the business. And I went and did that. And then, you know, I went back to a $1,500 uh, Ford laser 1993 with no air conditioning and, and was driving. My first that car was Sydney. a Ford laser. I love that. There you go. Well, I was, I was like 23, 24 years old <laughs> and, you know, and, and running a business and, and trying to look professional. And, and you know what, that was humbling. Uh, not because I was like this big smack of my ego or whatever. It was just like, wow, I actually feel okay in myself, no matter what I have material wise. And I was at the time finding that the more material possessions that I accumulated, the less happy that I was. Um, and it wasn't until I fixed my relationship with those and fixed the ego relationship with having those uh, that I could now truly enjoy when I purchase an asset of value and I'm more likely to purchase them in cash now rather than lending. Although, I, you know, for tax and cash flow uh, reasons, I'll lend from time to time still. But the relationship with those assets now is very different because it's not about that I want to feel something or I want a dopamine hit or I want to, uh, you know, give myself a hit when I'm sitting in this car driving it. Um, I now feel very different to it. We can't I think it's worth... With... Oh, yeah, you go. Well, I was going to say, I think, I think it's worth, you know, sharing. There's one thing I want to share and then I think it's also also worth switching over and, and talking about, well, wealth. You know, we've covered income and stuff, but, let, you know, what is the actual definition or how would we define wealth and how has that changed over time because I'm really curious to know how you just shared some of that story how your story of wealth is is, the definition of it has shifted but before I do that I want to share something you just thought of it one of the things I really love like took the idea of buying things Mm. and toys and cars and all those things one of the things that I've always really loved is in Robert Kiyosaki's not his original book um, Rich Dad Poor Dad that really went went off I can't remember which book it was but one of his more recent books he talked about something that he and Kim his wife do and I loved it absolutely loved it He's basically any time that he he or his wife would like to buy a toy, maybe he wants to buy a fancy new car. The rule they have is they must first make an investment 
that will bring in that income before he's allowed to buy it. So if he wants to buy a $100,000 car, he first has to go and do a deal that over the next X period of time will bring in $100,000 of income, then he's allowed to go and buy the toy. And I just, I love that thinking. Like whether you follow that to the letter, like the thinking of going before I spend a dollar, let me invest a dollar to make one or two dollars first and then I can go and spend it. I just love that thinking. My rule is a little bit less sophisticated than that, um, but it's that my my toy assets must not exceed 10% of my net worth. Ah, cool. As as long as you've got a rule, it's just have a rule. Yeah, I have, you know, I'd I'd love to drop half a million dollars on the latest Ferrari, That, that would be fun, but that means that I have to build my net worth a little bit more before I do that. And the interesting thing is like, I then go and enjoy the process of building the wealth and it's less about, prize. it's, you know, it's like less about the, 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 the prize or the reward or anything like that. And, you know, with the, with the way that our, you know, as, as you get more and more efficient at uh, your capital management, uh, which is what, you know, wealth building is about, it's, you know, it's be- becoming the mechanic of your wealth and your income and, and, fine tuning that to the most efficient way possible. You know, I start thinking, well, do I really need to own it? Uh, would it be better to rent it? As in, you know, just when I want to drive it, would it be better to buy a luxury car business or have a share in that and then drive all kinds of luxury cars rather than buying depreciating because oh, depreciating assets just hurt my mind uh, on, yeah. uh, on, you know, I spend all of my time maximizing my money, but then <laughs> I feel a bit icky about going and buying a depreciating asset. Uh, so, I, I love it. Like mine's not cars, mine's boats. I've had those exact same thoughts, <laughs> but around boats, like I'm like, oh, I want to buy, actually, I don't want to buy a boat, but even like joining a boat membership. But then I'll start to go, mm, well, I really use it the 30 days a year that I get for my membership. Would it just be cheaper to, to hire it for the one or two days a year that I want to use it than actually invest in a membership? These are some of the things that you start, you do start to genuinely look at the return on your asset, your income. Totally. So let's, let's, let's shift gears though. Let's, let's talk about wealth. I really, Pete, I really want to understand what, how you would define wealth now. And then I'm curious to know how you might have, a younger version of you may have. Uh, it defined what wealth was and how that shifted. Yeah. Well, look, initially, I don't know if this was wealth, but I think it was financial security was the most important thing to me. You know, my big goal was, and I was, I was 15, we we're going around the classroom, teachers saying, what do you want to be when you're 30? And I said, retired. And everyone laughed. Uh, and I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm effing serious. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, it was not having to worry about and I don't know if this is wealth or maybe it's just income security. I'm, you know, curious on your thoughts on it. But, you know, for me, it was, I don't want to ever have to worry about what food is on the table. I don't want to ever have to think about my day-to-day uh, needs and expenses, right? So, like, when I go to the petrol station, I don't care what day of the week it is. Like, and I, and I don't want to care. But, like, I mean, I drive V8, so I had, I, had to build, <laughs> I had to build a system where, you know, fuel costs didn't matter. I never wanted to worry about, like, buying the organic food at the shops over the other food um, because, you know, one tastes better, better and is probably better for me. Uh, so I want to definitely go for that. So that was kind of like, you know, initially where I came from. Now I see wealth as, I don't know, you know, I think, of, I think about most things in life as a system. Uh, and I think about most things in life pretty logically. And I just, I see wealth as like a, like a little mini personal company. Uh, you know, if you think of like, you know, capitalism and an, and an organization which runs and exists and creates value for its people, creates value for its customers, and then creates value for, uh, for itself. And, you know, whoever owns it gets to reap the return on that value. I see your own personal wealth as your own like personal organization, personal mini organization. And you have inputs, you have outputs, you have assets, you have liabilities. And, you know, the aim of the game is to, is to grow that. And 
it's not really much more complicated than that for me. You know, when you spoke about uh, legacy and the and the primal need to pass on to family or to children, I actually don't feel much of that myself. You know, I've never like you know been really interested in uh, doing the family thing or, or having kids. It's just you know not really been on my path. It may be a part of my future. We shall see. Uh, but what's uh, interested me with wealth is that it's something that I can build uh, and I can build it for myself. The thing is that it's changed over the years for me because initially it was about that safety. Initially it was about, okay, well, you know, being comfortable that when I go to Woolies, you know, I don't care if I buy the nice sauce or the, or the not nice sauce, you know, I just want to buy what I want. But the interesting thing for me is that once I reached, and it wasn't much, it was like 70 or 80 grand a year, right? It's that, that uh, diminishing return on how much income you earn proportionate to how happy you are. And after I had all of my basic needs met, and like, you know, how many times a, how many times a week can you eat out for dinner? It's probably not going to be that healthy if it's seven days a week, but I never have to worry about, you know, how much that kind of stuff's cost. And I've, and I've, and I've passed the point of having to worry about the weekly expenses. Now I realize that is a privilege. That mm. is a privilege. And there may be listeners right now who are going, Oh, who is, you know, this dude has no kids, you know, has a decent income and, and is not, you know, like I live up the beach, I moved to Queensland and my expenses are pretty chill. But the point that here that I'm making is once I, it was like kind of a, you know, a plane taking off and popping through the clouds. Once I, once I went through that and, you know, Jim Carrey and a number of other famous celebrities have said, uh, you know, I wish everyone in the world could make all of the money that they dream about so they can realize that money is not the answer. And it's so cliche, but God, it's so true that once you have all of those basic needs met, and you turn around and you look back and you go, oh, okay, cool. That was cool. But, you know, there's no, uh, you know, dogged desire or fear or tension to, to continue building that. And so I think, the- I think you've, you've made an interesting uh, point here that's, that is worth talking about. You mentioned a bit earlier to the difference between like financial independence, financial freedom mm. and wealth in my mind, at least, yep. you know, I, I separate the two and I didn't always. Um, but I do now. And I think I agree, like financial independence, financial security, financial freedom, in my definition is when your passive income exceeds your expenses. And I'm not talking leveraged income. I'm talking about passive income. When your passive income goes past your your expenses, the quickest way to financial freedom is to keep those expenses low. So (laughs) if someone is listening to this right now and you're going, things are so fucking tight right now, like Mm -hmm. I have no money, I know it sucks Mm because I've been there, I have. But I'm actually so grateful that I was. I'm so grateful that I was not making any money in business for years because you know what? It taught me how to live and lower lifestyle expenses, Mm. which meant that when I finally was bringing in income, I didn't fall into the trap of lifestyle creep. I was able to keep my lifestyle fairly stable for a while, which allowed me to achieve that financial freedom faster. So I think that's really important. There's a financial independence aspect that comes from hitting a certain income stream and whether it's active leveraged or, or, or passive getting to a certain level but there is a far in my experience a far bigger freedom that comes when your passive income hits that number the moment your passive income hits that number you truly can go i can breathe like mm. it's like there is a security that i have knowing that i could shut down my business tomorrow and i'm still okay yeah and, and again, like you, I know that that is an absolute privilege to be here, but I worked hard to get here. Yeah. So I have no problem with the fact that I got here. And, and it's one of those things where I think if people can get to that, that financial independence earlier, 
lowering your in- your expenses is one of the best ways to do it. So don't, you know, try and not fall into the trap of, oh, I need to upgrade my house. I need to upgrade my house. I need to do these things. I need to look good. I need a new car. I bought a new car in 2006. I didn't need it. I'm never going to buy a brand. Wait, I can't say I'll never. I have no desire or plans right now to ever buy a brand new car ever again. Uh, it was. I'm glad I did it because I learned the lessons of why I thought it's a stupid idea. But I, it's, it's, I did all these things and I can see why people fall in that trap. Wealth, wealth to me now actually has very little to do with income and money. Like there's riches, there's riches and sure, like, you know, having assets becomes part of the wealth. But the real wealth to me is about having those, that power to choose, the freedom mm. to, to choose how I spend my time uh, because time is more valuable than money. Mm. And I believe that there are people right now who are in worse financial situations than I am, than you are, Pete, than some of the you know, many people in the world who potentially are wealthier because they're happier, mm. they're content, they're fulfilled, they're following a passion, they love their life, they're grateful to be alive. Now, I'm grateful to be able to say that I, I, I feel like I fall. I, I, over time, I've learned to, to have that, whether I have my money or not. But I think, I think true wealth, and I know it's cliche because you hear it, but true wealth truly is in happiness. I think it is. I think that is what's truly wealthy. And riches is great, and I'm all for it. We live in a capitalist society. It's the way the rules of the system is right now. You may as well play the game to win based on the rules that we're living. Like, I'm not saying I fully agree that it's the best solution. That could be another whole episode. But it's the, it's the world we're in, and I, I don't have a problem with it. I just go, this is what is. These are the rules, so I'm going to win it. I'm going to play the game to, to, to do well. But even if I didn't, even if all that was gone, I think true wealth is just being able to be happy with whatever you've got, wherever you are. Mm, that's really cool. I think riches, uh, I think what you've alluded to is that, you know, riches are just a re- one resource. Time would be another resource. You know, skills would be another resource. Uh, and uh, yeah, and you have multiple resources. I want to shift to uh, talking about you know, because we, we both kind of like tick that box of having enough at least leveraged income to, to live off and be comfortable with. And, you know, while we're still both, you know, on this journey of like, you know, playing that game, uh, what I found for myself is as I was going through the emotional shifts of the last five years of kind of going, okay, well, I've ticked that box, now what? And, you know, so, some people don't get there until they're nearly at retirement age and they go, oh, okay, you know, well, I've done all of the, I've done all of the money generating stuff, now what? Uh, some people have a midlife crisis uh, or, or midlife reawakening, you know, a, a relationship or, or, or a big life shift. And they, they really start to look at, you know, what is their meaning? I feel very thankful that I've been asking myself these questions since I was a kid, <laughs> you know, like where should I go and what should I do? But, but once I, I um, you know, I kind of hit that goal uh, income wise and, you know, fairly leveraged, I expect it to continue. Um, and I have a ridiculously large asset, um, which should stay fairly resilient. I'm curious Carl, and I want to come back to the conversation around, uh, you know, switching to contribution and how that goes. Mm. But before we go there, what about when it's taken away or what about when it's at risk of being taken away? Uh, Because I know I sleep really, really, really well if I've got a hundred grand in the bank. I sleep really well. And, you know, no matter what's happening with the business, it can go up and down a little bit, no matter what's going on in my personal life, no matter, you know, if I have too many... I had too many parties at one of the apartments I was living at and got evicted with some friends. And I was like, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm safe because, uh, you know, I've got this cash pile and I will no longer have to feel that hustle and stress in my gut with how I'm running my business and how I'm running my life. And so I'm curious for you, you know, what comes up when you think about things being taken away? Because right now in the current economic climate, people are having things taken away from them. We are both, like everyone is, at risk of having things taken away from us. And I have... 
I have felt a bit, I have felt a little bit of that. Uh, you know, I did I did the numbers and I did the calculations. What if our income stopped and we, you know, had to continue to run the business? How many months could we last based on the uh, you know the, the cash reserves and the income that we have? So yeah, what do you think about that when uh, when I asked that? Well, it's it's interesting. I, I, one of my first thoughts when you talked about your hundred thousand dollar in the bank account was like, oh, that'd be worth exploring. Where at what point did you decide a hundred thousand dollars was your your number to have in the bank? Gut feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'd say somewhere along the line, there's something that created that story for you. Yeah. But like it for me, I don't have a number like that. Definitely, when the number's going up, or like if I log into the bank and I see it's over two hundred grand or something in that particular set of accounts, like that makes me feel good. Sure, I don't know. Like if if I feel like it's going to be taken away from me, there's a few things. If I only had active and leverage income, I think I would be far more fearful. Mm. Like even in the last how many months it's been not even that long my my share portfolio has i think more than halved uh, mm. you know like it's it's dropped dramatically uh, i've got a mix of index funds and specific shares and so you know i've had the index hits which are around 30 or so percent at time of recording dropped and then i've had other shares that have dropped far more than that and then i've got others that have gone up so that hurts when you see that but because i've got a long-term view i'm not going oh that's terrible and i have other income sources so i'm not fussed about necessarily the dividend hits I don't know. I sleep pretty good knowing that I could shut down my business and still be okay. Mm. It would be if those passive income sources were at risk, that's when you would probably see me start to freak out a bit. That's when I'd be like, Oh shit. Now don't get me wrong. I'm still monitoring. I'm cause there's obviously a certain point that if I don't pay attention and take action, if something happened in my active, more active and leveraged income sources that, if I'm not careful, my passive income would be keeping them afloat and then I'm going negative because of that. So there is a monitor. But for me, the, there's an initial reaction of freaking out. There is. I'm human, of course. There's fear. There's all that that comes up. But if I actually take a breath and I step back and I let myself relax or I meditate or someone like you, a friend, or someone just helps me kind of come back to reality, the reality is it's like, you know what? It's okay. And it's all happening as it needs to happen. And there's lessons here. And, you know, if, if it has to shut down, I have to lose all. And even if I lost all my passive income, like that would suck. But yeah. we live in a country in Australia that <laughs> has an amazing, <laughs> it has an amazing safeguards. Like it is, it's not impossible, but it is pretty damn hard. I've got a good family situation. I can go back and live with them. Like it would be pretty damn hard for me to be so down on my life. And I only know this because I did this exercise a few years ago. I used to get so freaked out that I was going to make a bad decision in my business and I was going to lose it all. It would freak me out. And I worked with my coach Divya and I remember she just took me through a process. And I've done this to myself numerous times where she goes, okay, you make a bad decision and it costs you the business. So you go out of business. Then what? There was just yeah, lots of, and then what? Mm, and then, and I was like, oh, you know, then I'd feel bad and, and, and ashamed. Okay, you feel bad and ashamed. And then what? Oh, I'd have to go and live with my parents. Okay, so you live with your parents and then what? Oh, I'd have to go on um, Centrelink and get, you know, the doll. Oh, okay, well, and then what? And like, eventually it was, I got to a point where it was like, you know what? Yeah, my ego would take a bruise and a few cuts and it would hurt and it would be humbling as hell, but my situation is pretty good and I, I really... You know, I don't have kids, I, you know, and I think that's something that is, in, it is worth calling out. But, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, it, is, it does not escape me that we are 30-year-old dudes who don't have kids. We don't have the same commitments. And there are other 30-year-olds, even 20-year-olds who've got the family. They've got the kids. My sister, you know, I, you know, I have some of these conversations and she doesn't have the ability or doesn't feel she has the ability to take the same level of risks that I might. 
because of her family situation. And I think that, that it's worth understanding that everyone's situation is different. But we live in a, such a great society in Australia. I'm so grateful to have been born here. I, I, you know, it's, yeah, I, I just, I, I, bottom line, I'm, I'm not afraid to lose it, really. I'm not. I, I think at the end of the day, you know, the, the self-actualization level of Maslow's hierarchy aside, all we need is like food and shelter. And, you know, I've done like a lot of travel uh, and, and luxury travel does nothing for me. Uh, I am happiest when I'm camping or when I'm in a camper van by the beach somewhere and I have a backpack, I have a little bit of food in my belly, I have sunshine and that's it. I, I just enjoy the, uh, the disconnection from life's stuff. And even if you have kids and responsibilities and stuff, like really inspect that, uh, you know, if you have fear coming up, oh my God, I can't lose this income or I would be on the street. Like just, just really inspect that uh, because, you know, that fear is unnecessary. There is a reality that you may be in a tough situation if you were to lose your business or lose your income, or if right now you are in a situation where that has happened to you. But being fearful and feeling the pain and the tension emotionally, that is optional. That is optional. Um, so I think we should finish Carl. Um, this has been a really great show and I'm enjoying it. You know, we've both shifted gears. We finish I think. on, I think the last bit of our contribution. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. You know, we both shifted to, you know, our mindsets around, you know, the, the, the money generation now that we've you know got our basic needs met and we're really comfortable with our incomes. Uh, we've both talked for the last year or so about shifting to contribution Tell me what that means for you, because I think this has been more your idea and, and I've been kind of like receiving it, which has been really cool. It came from, I looked around a lot of my other really successful friends, people who make a lot more money than me. And um, I love hanging out with them. I love, I love the way they think, but it doesn't completely gel with the way I think. And mm. I was getting to this point where I was just like, I don't like, what, what's the point of growing the business further? Like I, I was like, I was now at a point where I was like, well, I'm, I don't know, like what is... I can, I can see the opportunity. I can see you know, the opportunities there, but why would I do it? And I, I was floundering for years. Cause you, oh, sold, at least your, cause you sold your business. Like you, you, oh, you've my IT business years ago. Yeah. yeah. And I, see, I'm still on, I'm still on the same train that I started when I was 15. Right. So like, I'm one of those entrepreneurs that I, you know, I might be a lifer in this business, who knows, but you got off the train. And so you, I think got the perspective of like setting starting out again. and then looking back and going, okay, well, you know, how do I want to do this if I'm starting from scratch again, which you did. Yeah. And, and, and it was also just seeing, you know, seeing people who make millions of dollars, not in revenue, but in their profits in their pocket and seeing that they still weren't happy oh, and they're wow. amazing people, but not fulfilled and fully happy. Mm. And, and so I look at that and go, cool. Well, and I remember having a conversation with a, with a friend of mine, I was on his boat and I, I, I asked this exact question. I said, look guys, you know, you guys make more money than me. I was with a group of people and was, I said, look, I'm just really been racking my brain for the last 12 months. Like, what is the point? Like, why would I grow this? Why would I keep growing? Because it feels like it might just create more headaches. I've got more this. Like, why would I add that to my life? Like, what's, what's it really worth? And they said, one guy pulled me aside and said, look, I can tell you exactly why. And he basically told me that he spends a hundred grand a month. Now, what he doesn't realize, like- On what? I took, exactly. I took away from that. Well, I asked him, like, it was on a, on a horse, on the boat, on my like, all lifestyle shit. 
And I wow, came away from that going hobbies. like, yeah, I was <laughs> like, awesome. wait, hold on. Basically, his point to me was, you'll make more money because you're going to spend more money. That's what his point to me was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I came away from it going, wait, why? Like, yeah. why would I do that? That just seems crazy. Yeah. But here's what shifted. So that was my old mentality. I was kind of like, well, I was like, you know, keep expenses low. That's how you achieve financial freedom. Don't go crazy. And then I read a book uh, called How to Be Rich by J. Paul Getty. It's an average book. You know, you don't feel like you need to rush out and get it. But he was at one stage, he was the richest man in the world. And I picked it up at his museum in LA and uh, he's since passed away. Anyways, I read this book after probably 18 months of contemplating this thought. And there was just a little throwaway paragraph in there where he's talking about he's got a cousin that makes far less than money than him but he believes he's more wealthy mm. and he was talking about how he he the way he thinks about wealth is the point of money is not about hoarding piles of cash which i think a lot of people think of and do the point of building more cash and more assets is so that you can produce more jobs you basically ultimately so you can contribute more and create a better quality of life for yourself and others around you by creating jobs and employment by spending that money in the economy which starts to pay and that was when things started to shift in my head and i was like hold on a second if i buy this thing it's not about what i'm getting i mean sure i get something for it but if i buy this thing i'm actually helping that small business especially if it's a small business employ stay employed or put food on their table i it, it all of a sudden started to shift i was like actually if i continue to grow we're going to need more team members which means i'm employing more people which means i'm helping more families i'm also not only that i'm helping more clients which is helping their business and their clients and if i'm making more wealth and i'm making more money personally so i choose to upgrade my where i live and i spend a bit more money where i'm living or i go to a cafe more often all of a sudden the the, the fireworks in my brain started to create these connections and i started to go huh by not spending money i'm actually being selfish this was the shift in my story by holding back and going, no, I kind of, I'm not going to spend that money by me going, I'm going to keep my expenses low by me not growing my business because it will make more headaches for me. It was a smack in the face where I was like, I'm being selfish by doing that. Mm, wow. And it was good to a point. I, I actually think that in my experience, I can only talk from my own experience. If I'd had this contribution uh, mentality at the start of my business, I don't think I would have got to where I am today. Mm. I'm not saying it's not possible. If you're already in that like contribution, man, I want to just love the world. Mm. I'm all for it. I do wonder how powerful that is in the beginning and hustling and building and getting you to a point. But definitely once you get to a point like I have, and potentially you have too, Pete, that's when the shift of starting to go, well, I'm good. I can stop being selfish. I don't need to put the oxygen mask on myself anymore. So I can, I can now be putting oxygen masks on other people. And that's the shift is starting mm-hmm. to go. The power of money, like capitalism was always originally intended to be, is to be that rising tide that lifts all boats. You have the ability to now contribute and give a higher quality. And that's the biggest shift that has happened to me in decades. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to that, uh, except that when you shared that with me, and I think it was about a year ago, you know, I was going through the stage. Well, a couple of years ago, I went through the stage of questioning with my team saying, hey, look, guys, I've, you know, I've met my income goal. So I'm a little bit less motivated to grow the business now. Uh, and I'm more interested in optimizing my time rather than optimizing more 
revenue or income from the business. And the team were like, oh, you know, this is my leadership team. This is in our quarterly planning. And they're like, oh, okay, so, <laughs> so what do we do then? And I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll pick another goal. Yeah, you know, I've, I've had ambitions to do some motorsport. So yeah, it'd be nice to have a hundred grand a year spare to, to go and do that. And so let's, let's make some more money so Pete can go and do motorsport. And you know what? That just did not motivate me to grow the business. It did, it didn't get it didn't tick the box for me. I was like, damn, that sucks. Cause I still haven't got, you know, I still haven't gone down that journey. It's not because I've got lack of income available for it. I've got it, but the, you know, that, that as a goal wasn't something that intrinsically motivated and got my fire started. And then when you shared that with me, and uh, I think we were talking about, I was talking about, Hey, maybe I'll just get rid of my sales team and switch to a chat bot and, you know, it'd be much more efficient, easier, less people to, to worry about. And you were like, well, well, Pete, you know, you're, you're taking away four or five people's jobs and uh, that's not contribution. That's the opposite of contribution. I was like, Oh wow, shit. And having a bigger impact is actually to ask the question, well, how can we make more money and have more impact and be a better business and help more people if we keep the sales team on and, uh, and actually have them, you know, do more. And uh, so I really, you know, I really appreciated that download from you um, and that shifted myself. And that's been a really good guide. And what I was able to take back to my team, and this was something, uh, you know, again, that I kind of took from you is I shared with my team, hey guys, you know what, like, I've met my goals in this business and I shared this with the whole company. I said, hey, I've met my goals in this business. I've met my goals with income. And so this is no longer Peter's responsibility to grow this business. This is a collective responsibility. And we get to choose as a collective where we go and how we do things. I own the asset, so I'm gonna get the benefits of having the asset ownership. And for the level that I participate in the business, I'm gonna get a fair exchange in uh, in return from that. I need to earn a market salary from the business. You know something else that's been a part of that conversation, right? Peter needs to earn a market salary for creating, growing, building, and leading and running this business. However, it's everyone's responsibility to choose how fast we want to grow, how we want to contribute, where we want to take the business. And that's a that's a collective decision. And and having that shift in how I, you know, adjusted the business, you know, some may think that's too altruistic and not really aligned with your goals and your values. And that's totally fine. I'm sharing my experience and 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 where I'm at. Uh, that felt great. It feels mm. great. And I also am able to, you know, outside of the business, I have other projects now where I'm able to spend time doing things. And and one thing that I wanted to share is, you know, I had this moment, it was a couple of years ago, it was when I started the weight loss journey and I'd done a bunch of therapy and some acupuncture and I was doing some body work and I started doing like spiral clearing. And one of my uh, mentors slash practitioners who was helping me with that work said to me, you know, Pete, you're like, you're like an eight or a nine out of 10 in the business right now. Because I was asking him, what do I, you know, what do I do with my life? How do I find fulfillment and meaning and blah, blah, blah. And he said, look, Pete, you're like an eight or a nine in the business right now, but you might be a four out of 10 in cooking. You might be five or six out of 10 in relationships. You might be three out of 10 in physical health for your body. So they are skills and disciplines that you can go and work on to have fulfillment in life, you know, outside of what you've built in the business. Cause it's like, look, man, like you don't need to read any more business books. Like you're, you're there, you're good. You're, you know, you're, you're solid. And I, and I feel that I feel like 8.5, nine out of 10, comfortable business acumen. It doesn't mean I could go and run a billion dollar uh, conglomerate. Um, no, but, but to the level that for, business that you have. Well, where I'm at, I'm feeling very, very confident, but 
I've had so much fulfillment in the last three years from exploring all of those other areas of my life where I was not competent and wealth building was one of them. And so I've been on that journey for the last two years of learning how to build wealth because I'd built income shitloads of income, but I'd not yet built wealth. So um, I would say also you've been building true wealth as well because you've been working on your health, you've been working on your relationships because similarly to you, I was at that point, right? I was at that point, I was sitting comfortably going, okay, I don't really need much, but that was also causing me because I had a lot of downtime, I didn't have to work a lot. It gave me a lot of time to think and find problems. And I started looking at other areas in my life. I looked at my relationship, I looked at my health, I looked at other areas and was like, oh, and I think that's what can happen is that if we don't have that wealth view of being more holistic earlier, what can happen is you do the money thing. And then some people I think stay on the money train because they're afraid of looking at how unhappy they are in the rest of their life. Oh, oh, that one. That, that might hurt someone. That, that, that hits hard. <laughs> I, I think that I, like, just like people drink alcohol, they do various things because it's, it's an escape. They watch TV. I used to watch TV as an escape from reality. Yeah. I, I think some people do that with chasing money is the same. Yeah. And, hustle, uh, hustle is addictive. That fierce, being in a fear state of feeling like not having enough is addictive. And that's, that's really something to inspect. We might even do another episode just episode. on that. <laughs> All right, we should we should wrap up. This has been a lot longer than we probably originally intended, but I hope it's been super useful for you. Well done on listening this this far. Love to hear your comments, feedback. What did you love most about this episode? Was there something we said that really pissed you off and you feel like we're entitled <laughs> fucks? Tell us. We want to hear about it. In genuinely, like. You know, we, we love that feedback. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm comfortable. If you, if you hate me for some reason, that's okay. I, I, that, that's on you. But I would love to get your feedback. I know Pete would love to get your feedback. Leave us a review. Tell others if you think this has been useful. Share this episode of Brown. You can find all the show notes, everything you need on rising.show. It's where you can learn more about Peter. You can learn more about me, how you can connect with us, all of that stuff. We'd love for you to subscribe. It's always been a pleasure. I'm so grateful to be here with my co-host, Peter Moriarty. Thanks, mate. Great to have all of the listeners on the show. This just may be the episode that moves the needle for you on your mindset with regards to wealth. If you are interested in talking more about that, please drop your comments below. We would love to have a discussion with you about it. And we look forward to hearing, well, spending time with you in the next episode. Take care.